Today on The Matt Walsh Show, environmentalism has turned into a doomsday cult. So we'll talk about the apocalyptic fervor that has uh, that is now gripping the climate alarmists. Also, a basketball announcer has been suspended for making a completely innocuous comment that disingenuous people have interpreted as racist. We'll talk about that. Bill Maher um, is sneering at small town Americans, but he's doing, doing so in a way that is really embarrassing uh, for him and shows how out of touch he is. And finally, Michael Jackson's cultish followers um, have been coming after me, insisting that a man who shared his bed with little boys wasn't actually a pervert. Uh, so we'll talk about why they're completely wrong and also perhaps crazy uh, today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, folks, the uh, the Oscars were last night, and it, it uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. It appears that um, this and that movie won, and people were upset because this happened and that happened. Uh, this person wore an outrageous outfit, so on and so forth, yada, yada, et cetera. Uh, that's my coverage of the Academy Awards. I couldn't make myself care about this kind of thing if you paid me. And well, actually, I guess I am paid to care about the news, but, but I still don't care about this. I just, I just can't, I can't manage to do it. All I, all I ever think about when I, when, you know, when I, when I see that something like the Academy Awards is on, all I ever can think is, what must the space aliens think? The space aliens that I'm sure are somewhere out there on planet Galgatron or whatever, and they're watching our, our television feed, and they see something like the, the Academy Awards, and they see, you know, three and a half hours of people congratulating themselves, and then other people sit around in their homes and watch those people congratulate themselves. What must the aliens think? They must they must be very uh, confused about it as they plot their um, mission to come and take over the world and enslave mankind, which is a an, event, an eventuality that I personally welcome. Now, I do have a lot to uh, a lot of I think more interesting things to talk about today, though, um, and we're going to get to all that. But before we do, let's check in with policy genius. You know, getting life insurance can can feel like a like a jigsaw puzzle sometimes. It's very confusing, especially in my case because I'm a very easily confused person. Like I wanted to toast a bagel yesterday and I had to look up a YouTube tutorial and spend 3 hours studying before I toasted the bagel. So I'm very easily confused. Um but even if you're not like me, even if you're smarter than me, it still is a difficult thing to do. Um life insurance can be pretty daunting. Yet, if you have kids, if you have a family, if you have a mortgage, uh, any of the above, it's something that you got to figure out. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance. Emphasis on easy and quick, too. So that means in just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find the best policy. You don't have to worry about all the red tape and all that kind of stuff, because when you apply online, um, the advisors at Policy Genius will take care of all that for you. They'll take the lead. Uh, they'll get you through the, the pr process. And they'll even negotiate uh, your rate with the insurance company. There's no hidden fees or anything like that to worry about. No commissioned sales agents. What you see is what you get. Helpful advice, personalized service. That's it. So if you find life insurance confusing, like I do, go to policygenius.com. In two minutes, you can compare quotes. You can find the right policy. Save up to 40%. And you, you don't have to uh, take on this puzzle by yourself without some help. I would recommend that you don't. Life insurance is definitely more confusing than toasting a bagel, I could, I could tell you that. Unless you have Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Okay, 
Now, I don't know where to begin. Let's just start with this. On Friday, a bunch of children with something called the Sunrise Movement, which is apparently an environmentalist group, they went into Senator Feinstein's office, Dianne Feinstein. They went into her office in D.C. to harass her for not supporting um, the insane Green New Deal. Now, Feinstein, who, as I'm sure you know, is is no friend uh, to the conservative movement. I, I'm not a fan of hers at all, to put it mildly. But she, for the last few days, has been unfairly maligned for allegedly being disrespectful to these poor little children who uh, went to, to her office uh, to talk to her about the Green New Deal. That's the impression that was supposedly given by the uh, two-minute video that I'm about to show you. A video that, of course, what do you know, has been edited to make her look bad uh, because the full video tells a different story. And I'll get to, the, I'll get to that in a minute. But, but for now, let's just take a look. Let's take a look at the deceptive video. Here's the... Um, Here's the two-minute video that this environmentalist group put out. We're going to go in and share this letter, and we're going to do it all together. Yeah. Share it in front of Feinstein. We're asking her to vote yes on the Green New Deal. We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Please. Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government and is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all you know for the people. You know what's interesting about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. I yeah, hear what you're true. saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your, How old are your you job. Represent? How old I'm are 16. You I well, can't you didn't vote. vote for me. Well, she, I'm she voted. It doesn't matter. We're the ones well, who are going to be impacted. It doesn't matter. We're going to be the ones who are impacted. I understand that. I have seven grandchildren. I understand it very well. Senator, the cost of and not taking this action is far higher than the cost of what the Green New Deal will be. And there Here's is enormous popularity for this bill around okay. the whole country. Here's and we're asking you to be brave and do this for us and, and for your grandchildren. Get enough for okay. I'm trying to do the best I can, which was to write a responsible resolution. Any plan that, that doesn't take bold, okay. transformative okay. action is not going to be what we need. Well, you know better than I do. So I think one day you should run for the Senate. Great. And then you do it your way. But by that time, in the meantime, by that time, there's going to be a big problem. I just won a big election. Okay. Now, as I said, that of course is not the full story because it never is. And 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 here's the thing: at at some point, we all have to learn this lesson. And I'm not sure why so many people still struggle to understand that. Listen, when when you see a video online that everybody's getting outraged about. And you see the video is a two-minute or 30-second or one-minute clip of 
some sort of out of context discussion or event or altercation, just assume right away, just assume from the very beginning that it's misleading and that there's more to the story. Just in every single time, assume that. So whenever people are getting outraged over a two minute out of context clip that you can tell has been, there have been parts cut out and there was parts before that and parts after that that you don't see, just assume that there's, just, just assume it. Don't join the outrage. You could just know right away there is definitely more to this story. Okay, somebody took this part of the exchange and they left out the rest and there's a reason for that. So if you look at the, uh, the whole video is like 15 minutes. And if you look at that, you see that Feinstein was actually incredibly patient with these kids, way more patient than I would be. She even offered one of them an internship, which, uh, what do you know, the, the, the good folks at the Sunrise Movement decided to cut that part out. I wonder why they cut that out. Uh, because obviously they have an agenda. But, but, but here's the thing. Even, even in that, that short two-minute video, um, even if that's all there, there was to it, I'm still totally on the side of Dianne Feinstein, and I don't get to say that very often, but I am in this case. She was not the one being disrespectful. Those kids were being disrespectful to her. She's the adult in this situation, remember? She's like 85 years old, and these are, and these are little kids, um, teenagers and little kids that have come into her office and are lecturing her and trying to instruct her on what she needs to do. Um, did you hear that? The, the, the one girl in particular was, I, I just, I couldn't even watch it. The first time I saw that video, I had to look away because I was just cringing. And especially as a parent, I was just, I mean, that one girl in particular was, let, let, your job, let me tell you what your job is. Um, although I did appreciate the part when they said, when they said, but we're your voters, you need to listen to us. And she said, well, but you're 16. You're not my voters. You didn't vote for me. Now, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm old fashioned, so I, I still believe in, in respecting your elders. And that's something that you got to teach kids. So kids don't talk to adults that way. Um, th that's not how I'm raising my kids. It, you don't go and talk to an adult. It doesn't matter if she's a Senator or if she's a janitor, it doesn't matter who she is. Uh, you don't talk to an adult that way. You, you need to have respect for adults. Now, but I don't blame the kids, really, for their awful and, and embarrassing behavior. Uh, and it was awful and embarrassing. And if those were my children, I would be uh, totally ashamed. Uh, I would be ashamed of their behavior. I'd be ashamed of myself. I'd be ashamed of myself, especially. So, you know, I blame the parents for this. When I was a kid, if I ever spoke to an elderly woman like that, uh, I'd be at home right now, grounded, and writing a, a, a heartfelt letter of apology, a letter of apology that my dad would be, um, you know, checking and, uh, and then making editorial comments and making me go back and write it again. Like, that's, that's, uh, that's how I'd be spending my day, is working on this letter of apology to the, the woman that I had terribly disrespected. disrespected. Um, but I had competent parents, you know, who actually, who actually cared about forming me into a, uh, at least somewhat respectable adult, but these children apparently don't. And when you don't have competent parents guiding you and instructing you on how to behave, especially around your elders, then you can't really be expected to figure it out on your own. Kids don't, don't figure that kind of stuff out. Like if you don't tell a kid and work with a child to be respectful, they're not going to just figure it out. Then it just becomes Lord of the Flies and you're going to end up with um, bratty kids like that. 
So I blame this on the parents. And I'll tell you something else that I blame on the parents and on the adults um, around these kids. And this is the thing that really jumped out at me. This is what makes that video so disturbing. Uh, more than the utter disrespect of these bratty kids, it's how truly scared they seem to be. I mean, these kids really think the world's going to end. They really do. And, and they think that because that's what they've been told. Climate alarmism climate alarmism has become a doomsday cult. It, it is more than just alarmism now. It is a, it is like doomsday, um, you know, Jim Jones territory that we're in now. These maniacs, and, and when I say maniacs, I'm not talking about the kids, I'm talking about the adults. These maniacs are running around screaming that the world is going to end. That, that's literally what they're doing. They're saying the world is coming to an end. Um, for example, here's a, here's a clip from good old uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Here she is last month saying that the world is coming to an end. And I think that the part of it that is generational is that millennials and people and, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And like this is the war. This is our World War II. The world is going to end in 12 years. She says 12 years. She she even put a she put a time limit on it. I mean that that's what the doomsday cultists do. That's what the cult leaders do. Is they give you an exact. Uh, you know, uh, date when the world's going to end. And that's what, and that's what she's doing here. These are doomsday prophets predicting the exact date of the end of the world. Um, where did she get that from? Where did she get 12 years from? Well, she didn't get it from science. I'll tell you that she just got it from her fevered imagination. And, you know, you and I can listen to this kind of hysterical nonsense and we can sift through it and we can see it for what it is. But kids are not able to do that, which is why climate alarmism is child abuse. Because it is psychologically traumatizing to kids who don't know any better. You know, when you tell a child that the world is going to end, the ice caps are going to melt, we're all going to drown in a few years, that's abuse. That is psychological abuse. It's traumatizing for a child to be told that. I mean, I know when I was uh, when I was a kid, I can remember that the the big thing was deforestation, and I was told in school that uh, all the trees are being cut down, and and soon enough there's not going to be any oxygen left in the world, and we're all going to die, and that was terrifying to be because when you're a kid and you now when you're an adult and you have a brain in your head uh, and you hear that you think okay, okay, all right, calm down, like yeah, I mean we should try to not cut down all the trees and you know, we should try to plant new trees when we cut down. I mean, I'm, yeah, fine. But don't tell me that we're all going to die because the Amazon rainforest is being uh, cut down. Don't, don't tell me that. So as an adult, I can say that. But as a child, I can remember being thir in third grade, sitting in a classroom, being told this stuff. And, um, and it, was, it was just absolutely horrifying to hear. Uh, and it scared me to death. And it's not fair to do that to kids. Even if you think you're doing it for a good cause, it, it, it still does not make it okay to lie to children. It was the same kind of thing. I don't want to get off track here, but it was the same kind of thing 
when I was growing up, uh, the, the anti-smoking crusade. And so they were really, you know, they're really intent on making sure kids don't smoke cigarettes, which is a good goal because uh, it's good to stop kids from smoking cigarettes. But what they told us, I can remember being told, the impression that I was given as a kid is that um, if you are even in the same room for a few minutes as someone who's smoking a cigarette, you could get cancer and die. That, that is the distinct impression I got. Is that, is that, is that um, you know, it's, it's like ingesting anthrax or something like that, which of course is completely ridiculous. But I guess what they thought is, well, let's just scare these kids, scare them straight, lie to them. And if in the end they don't end up smoking, then, uh, then it was worth it. But that is an ends justify the means, um, just wrong way of, of going about things. And it's the same sort of situation here. Um, it, it, is, it is hysterical nonsense to say that the world is, is coming to an end or, or anything like that. Um, these apocalyptic predictions. And, and I'm not saying that we should, uh, you know, be messing up the environment or dumping chemicals into rivers and, and, and throwing trash everywhere. Um, recycling is fine. I mean, all that stuff is fine, but you can, you can advocate for that without lying and without being hysterical. Speaking of, uh, of being hysterical, Eric Halthouse is a uh, meteorologist with, for some reason, a huge social media following. This guy has like hundreds of thousands of um, followers on Twitter. And here's what he tweeted over the weekend. He said, um, preventing the earth from descending into a lifeless husk of a planet in a geological blink of an eye is technologically possible, experts say, but it it will require confiscating unearned wealth from billionaires and ending the pointless wars we've been fighting for generations. Now, this tweet got like 7,000 likes on Twitter. Uh, The earth is descending into a lifeless husk. And the only way to stop it is to confiscate wealth from billionaires. (laughs) Now, even if I agreed that the earth is descending into a lifeless husk, how does taking money from billionaires and giving it to other people, how does that help the environment exactly? What do you, how is that? I don't understand what that has to do with the environment. Um, But of course, the bigger point here is that the earth is not descending into a lifeless husk. Yes, eventually the earth will be a lifeless husk, but it's not going to be in the blink of an eye, and it's not going to be because you were driving an SUV. Um, That's not going to be the reason. How arrogant do you have to be to believe something like that? So not only is it hysterical, nonsensical, um, dishonest, but it's also so egotistical. The Earth has been around for 4.5 billion years. Billion years. It has survived asteroid strikes, super volcanic eruptions, ice ages, countless other cataclysmic events. Um, but you think a couple hundred years of industrialized society will turn it into a lifeless husk? Do you have any idea how resilient the Earth is? Do you have any idea what it would take to make the Earth a lifeless husk? It's going to take a lot more than a smokestack on a factory. I can tell you that. I mean, the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs didn't even make the the Earth a lifeless husk. It it made the Earth um, inhospitable to many forms of life for a while. But uh, but 
you know, lifeless husk means the earth is dead. That's what a husk is. It's a corpse. It's just, it's dead. It's done. What he's claiming is that the earth is going to die and be totally destroyed. Um, you know, destroying the planet, right? That's what we hear from environmentalists. We're, we're destroying the planet. We could not destroy the planet if we tried. The sun can destroy the planet. The sun could burp tomorrow and we would all be incinerated. Uh, that's how powerful the sun is. A big enough asteroid could destroy the planet. A collision with another planet could destroy our planet. Um, uh, it takes a cosmic scale event to destroy a planet. That is not something we could do. As I said, even if we tried, we could not do that. And we're not going to do that. Which, again, does not mean that we should just do what we want and, and, uh, and you know, ruin, uh, cut down all the trees that we want and throw trash everywhere. And, and, and all. It's, no one is saying that. But it, it's possible to advocate for conservation and responsibility and recycling and uh, not being wasteful and all that. It's possible to advocate for those things for those worthy, worthwhile things without being a chicken little running around screaming that the sky is falling. It, it, it's possible to do. And so that's what I, that's what I would suggest. All right. Um, a basketball player, um, a, well, I say a basketball play-by-play announcer, I should say, for the University of Iowa, Gary Dolphin is his name, has been suspended for the rest of the season and possibly it could be done forever. Um, it could be an indefinite kind of suspension because of a comment that he made at the end of an Iowa versus Maryland game over the weekend. And um, this allegedly was a racist comment that this um, guy made, Gary Dolphin. Uh, and I'll tell you what the comment was. He was talking, it was during the post-game show, um, analyzing the game. And he was talking about Maryland forward, Bruno Fernando and Dolphin in an effort to be complimentary. Dolphin said, um, 12 threes on 22 made baskets. That's some pretty good long range shooting. And then Fernando was King Kong at the end of the game. So Fernando was King Kong at the end of the game. And now maybe his career is over because of that. Because you could interpret that as a racist comment if you wanted to. And the key part of that being, if you wanted to. If you were intent on seeing that as racist, then you could certainly see it as racist. Because, um, but, but, but if, if instead you, you, you decided that you wanted to cut the guy even a little bit of slack, and have even a little bit of charity, just the smallest amount of charity in the way that you interpret that comment, you will instead see that this is meant to be a compliment. And it, of course, was not supposed to be racist. He was not referring to the guy's race, obviously, but he was just saying that the player was tough, unstoppable, um, strong, dominant. That, it, it's like saying that uh, somebody was a monster on the court. Is that racist? Yes, if you go around saying, um, you know, people of this race are monsters, well, that's racist. But if somebody is playing a game and you say, well, that guy, that guy was a monster out there, that's not racist. Totally different context. Or if it's like comparing them to the Hulk or Superman 
or, or any other mythical creature. That's the point. And this is what just infuriates me to no end, is with this kind of thing. Um, we all know, you know, if you were watching the, the post-game show and you saw the full clip in context, unless you're, you're crazy, when you saw that, you, you, you would know exactly what he meant. There's just no way that a halfway intelligent and honest person could listen to that comment and actually think that he meant to say something racist. There's just no way. There's just no way that Dolphin decided right then and there to end his career by randomly making a racist comment for no reason. It's like we, we can pretty much assume with 99.99999% certainty that that was not his intention. But yes, you could interpret it that way if you want. If you just were determined to uh, to see the absolute worst in this guy and you wanted to destroy his life, then yeah, you could do that. Um, you could say, yes, you know what? His intention was to sacrifice his whole career, everything he worked for, in order to, uh, in order to throw a casual racist jab at a player in the guise of a compliment. Um, if you're intent on destroying this man, that's how you'll interpret it. But why would you be intent on, on destroying him? Um, Dolphin issued a statement, by the way, apologizing. This was a statement. He said, during the broadcast, I used a comparison when trying to describe a talented Maryland basketball player. In no way did I intend to offend or disparage the player. I take full responsibility for my inappropriate word choice. I offer a sincere apology to him and anyone else who was offended. I wish the Iowa Hawkeye players, coaches, and fans all the very best as they head into the final stretch of the season. I will use this as an opportunity to grow as a person and learn more about unconscious bias. Um, you know, he's groveling here because, he, I mean, I, I don't blame him. He's, he, he wants to get his job back. And he's, and, and, um, but as much as I would love to see this guy issue a statement and say, you know what, you idiots, you know what I meant. You despicable idiots that you're, you're, you're going to destroy me for no reason, just because, you know, just, 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 just for fun. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to intentionally misconstrue what I said and try to destroy everything I've worked for in my whole career. How dare you? You people owe me an apology. Now, if it were me, that's the kind of statement I would probably uh, issue, but you know, maybe that wouldn't be the most prudent step. Um, but why isn't that enough? So he, he apologized. He said, look, I, you know, it's not how I meant it. I, if, you, if you took it that way, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean it that way. So why isn't that enough? Why can't people just say, okay, all right, well, you know, fine. Even if somehow you were really offended by that, and, 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 and if in some way you, you really thought that he meant it in a racist way, well, why can't that be enough? If somebody says something that you know, most likely could be interpreted in an innocuous way, but there's a possibility that maybe it was racist, then why can't you just say, no, wait, hold on a second, what, what did you mean by that, what you just said there? I mean, it, it sounds like maybe you could have meant something racist. And then let the person say, oh, no, 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 no. that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Let, let me tell you what I meant. And once they clarify it, just move on with your life. They've told you what they meant. That's not what they meant. You interpreted it wrong. So what, on some kind of technicality, we're going to say, well, yeah, you didn't mean that, but you, I mean, you said the words King Kong and technically, I mean, technical foul, right? Um, you're done. Your whole life is over. 
it's just, it's just inhumane. It's, it's, it's to treat people this way. I mean, I don't know anything about Gary Dolphin, right? um, but you know, just, just randomly destroying people that, I mean, Gary Dolphin was, he's, he's just an Iowa play-by-play announcer. It's not even like this is some politically significant person. Um, he's simply a, a guy who calls basketball games. And we're saying, all right, yeah, we're going to ruin him. This is what, I, you know, I keep saying it over and over and over again. But there's a very simple concept here that I think a lot of people struggle to understand. And that is that you, as the listener, okay, you don't get to decide when somebody is speaking. As the listener, you don't get to decide what they meant by what they said. You hear it, you interpret it how you interpret it. But only they can speak to their intentions. You you, um, cannot read their mind. You don't have ESP. Okay, you don't have psychic powers. So they are the only people, the person who says something is the only person on earth who can really speak to the intention behind those words. And so if something is said by a speaker that you find offensive, the only thing you can do is ask them what they meant. And when they tell you what they meant, you have no choice as a rational person but just to take that and believe it and move on. That's all. And, and if they say something that you know could be interpreted in an offensive way, um, but you also know they didn't mean it like that, yet you still call for them to be fired anyway, then you're just a scumbag. You're, you're just a horrible person. You're a horrible, vindictive person. Um, I mean, you're a sociopath in that case. And, and it seems like there are a lot of sociopaths in America. All right, speaking of sociopaths, Uh, I have to mention one other thing, and I'm loath to give this guy any attention, but Bill Maher on his show um, launched into a lame, absurd, elitist attack on red states. And I want you to watch this. I'm going to give you a clip of it. Uh, And it's really interesting because you're going to feel like you unearthed some kind of elitist time capsule from 1994. So here is... um, Here is Bill Maher on his show uh, mocking red staters. The blue parts of America are having a big prosperity party while that big sea of red feels like their invitation got lost in the mail. And they still use the mail. (laughs) They turn on the TV and all the shows take place in a few hip cities. There's no real housewives of Toledo or (laughs) CSI Lubbock. There are no red carpets in Wyoming, and no one ever asks you, who are you wearing? Because the answer is always, Target. (laughs) There are two Americas, and it seems like one is where all the cool jobs are, where people drive Teslas and eat artisanal ice cream. We have orchestras and theater districts and world-class shopping. We have chef Wolfgang Puck, 
They have Chef Boyardee. Yeah. Our roofs have solar panels. Theirs have last year's Christmas lights. We've got legal bud. They've got bud. Okay, now the, the worst part of that video, of course, is the cackling audience. To all this, all these lame jokes. They're like, <laughs> uh, they're just, they're just so happy that uh, that they can pretend to be sophisticated by laughing at those red state plebes, you know. Except, uh, ironically, if they, the audience, or Bill Maher himself, if they actually knew anything about food culture or the craft beer scene or any of the things that he mentioned, they would know that those insults stopped being relevant like 25 years ago. I mean, Chef Wolfgang Puck, that's your example of some kind of, uh, you know, some sort of really trendy, fancy chef that we can't even conceal. Chef Wolfgang Puck. I, you can go to, to Concourse E in the Charlotte airport right across from the Cinnabon and get a stale ham sandwich from a Wolfgang Puck restaurant. It is not, um, it, there's nothing impressive about it whatsoever. Uh, like you, you go, you just walk through an airport, you grab a ham sandwich from Wolfgang Puck and get a you know bottle of water from the convenience store. It's like that's, and that's who you choose. Um, it, it's uh, and actually some of the best food states in America are red states: Texas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Wisconsin, and beer. I mean, he said, well, you know, red states all they do is drink Budweiser. Um, North Carolina, Missouri, uh, Texas, Indiana, Montana. These are all great, great, uh, great states for beer. In fact, the last time I was at a bar that only had Budweiser and Miller on tap was in Pennsylvania, and that is not a red state. And Target? I mean, you, you think Target is a red state thing? There are plenty of Targets in red states, but I live on the East Coast. I live in blue territory, and there's a Target every 14 blocks. Okay, Target, if anything, it's more of a blue state thing. So... Um, Mar is a snob who's been cryogenically frozen in time since the early nineties. And now he's coming with, um, you know, Budweiser and Wolfgang Puck references. It, it's really embarrassing. Actually. I'm, I'm actually embarrassed. I almost feel bad for him. Um, because that was such a lame, just such a lame bit. I mean, anytime you see a, a comedian dying on stage, you can't help but feel for them a little bit because it's so humiliating. But I will say this uh, to Bill Maher, that you should, and I say this as, as someone who, uh, you know, as a conservative, you, you should definitely keep that up. I, I would even recommend doing a segment like that every single week on your show uh, until 2020. Because if you want to ensure that Donald Trump gets reelected, then, then keep on, keep, keep up with that. Keep heaping scorn and disdain on um, the vast majority of the country, geographically. C keep on doing that. Because, yeah, that's how you're going to make sure that Donald Trump gets, gets reelected. This is, this, it's not a good strategy for the left to alienate a majority of the country and to make everyone who doesn't live in a in a city feel like they're, or to try to make them feel like a bunch of, like a bunch of stupid bumpkins. 
all you're going to accomplish is making sure that your ideas and your politicians uh, are, are, you know, never see power again. And by the way, I don't, you know, I, I just, I think this whole back and forth about, oh, the cities versus small towns and where is real America? You know, oh, real America's in the cities or real America's in the, in, in the Midwest. Or, you know, I think the whole thing is stupid on both sides, personally. I mean, real America is everywhere in America. Uh, America is a diverse place. And I think it's, I've, I've spent plenty of time in cities. I've spent, spent, spent plenty of time in, in small towns and everything. You know, personally, I'm not a big fan of the cities. I prefer the small town. I prefer having space and trees and things like that, a little bit of wildlife. You know, I, I, I prefer that. But um, I also think it's dumb. Sometimes you hear this from people in the, you know, small, people in the small towns will, will act like everybody in the city. They're all a bunch of elitists. That's not real America. No, that's not true either. Uh, you just, the whole thing is stupid. It, it doesn't really matter where you live. You, you, no matter where you live, you can be a real American and, and, and you know, and, and a patriot. Um, so indulging on that on either side is just, is foolish, I think. All right, let's get to a few of your emails. Show at gmail.com, mattwalshow at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to email with your questions, concerns, comments, hate mail. This is from Michael. He says, hi, Matt. I'm a longtime listener. Always enjoy your insights. On today's show, you talked about how you enjoy smoking cigars. I have many friends who also enjoy cigars. However, as a faithful Catholic, I have always believed that smoking cigars or cigarettes, for that matter, is akin to desecrating the temple of the Holy Spirit. As smoking is very unhealthy, especially cigars, I'd love to hear your take on this. God bless. Uh, hi, Michael. I think that's a, uh, a perfectly valid perspective. And if you decide to avoid alcohol or uh, you know, tobacco, uh, I, that's, that's great. You know, um, It's fine with me. I don't personally consider it to be a desecration of the temple, um, within moderation. I mean, of course it's possible to abuse any substance. Now addiction to a substance is never good. So somebody who smokes three packs of cigarettes a day, yeah, that's something that they need to obviously try to stop because it's killing them. But tobacco, even nicotine, it's not like heroin. It's not like you do it one time and you're an addict. Um, I've been smoking cigars casually for a long time. I'm not addicted. I could go five months and not smoke one, especially in the winter. I tend not to because it's cold out. I don't feel like sitting out there. It takes a while to smoke a cigar. So, you know, it's just a casual thing for me. Um, is it a desecration of the temple to smoke casually? No, I don't, you know, I, I don't see how that's any more of a desecration than someone who has a sweet tooth or someone who is, um, you know, a little bit too sedentary or somebody who eats too much red meat or something. If it's possible to eat too much red meat, which I don't think it is. Um, although I'm not a doctor. So I think we're allowed to enjoy life. And, uh, and, and I do think that, look, tobacco was not invented by the devil. Um, that was God's doing. And I don't think the first people who figured out how to brew beer were possessed by Satan. Uh, no, they were using hops and other things that God gave us. Is it crazy to think that maybe God has given us these things to enjoy them? Maybe God isn't quite the Puritan that we sometimes make him out to be. Again, he did invent tobacco after all. He did make grapes that can be turned into wine. Uh, so aside from the fact that Jesus is drinking wine in the, in, in, in the Gospels all the time, God also invented the grape, which is this very complex fruit that it just so happens 
uh, you can turn into this delicious uh, beverage. Now, I know that this logic only goes so far. Uh, psychedelic mushroom mushrooms exist in nature too, right? Does that make it okay to take shrooms? Uh, poison frogs exist in nature, but does that make does that mean we should go around licking them for a buzz? Opium exists in nature. Does that make it okay to shoot up heroin? I think the difference here is moderation. Um, it, it's not possible to do heroin in moderation. There's no such thing as a casual social heroin user. One time could kill you, uh, and it will certainly hook you, and you can't do heroin without getting high. Um, so that's why, obviously, heroin is just bad. Alcohol isn't like that. You will not become an alcoholic from a glass of beer. A glass of beer won't kill you. It won't make you drunk. It's perfectly possible to enjoy it within reason and in a totally healthy way. I know there are plenty of people who struggle with that. And if they do, then they got to stay away from it. But there are also many millions of people, probably billions throughout history, who have managed to drink it casually, socially, not have a problem. So why shouldn't they? Um, tobacco also, not going to kill you with one cigar. It won't make you high. It won't hook you. Uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not rec I'm not recommending it like, hey, hey, kids, go out and have tobacco. That's not what I'm saying. But moderation is perfectly possible. So that's where I stand. If God gave us something that can be enjoyed in moderation without losing our senses, without possibly killing us from one dose, um, and that thing is enjoyable, relaxing, um, helping maybe to, uh, to facilitate social interaction or whatever, then why not? I mean, isn't that a pretty good indication that that's why God put it there to begin with? If it falls into that category, I know there are people who say, well, you know, you shouldn't need alcohol to relax or you, you shouldn't need to, you know, have a, have some booze in, in order to have a good time at a wedding or something like that. Well, I mean, yeah, you shouldn't need it. It's not a, it's not a need per se, but it does help. And so what it, what's wrong with being relaxed by a substance who, who said that there's something wrong with that? Is it wrong to take Tylenol when you have a headache? I mean, where do you draw the line and why? It just seems like a really arbitrary line to draw. I can say that, um, some of the most edifying and enjoyable conversations that I've had, uh, especially with, with other men, is when we're all sitting around having a cigar and drinking some whiskey. Um, and, that, and, and I find that to be, uh, especially if it's a, you know, during the summer, you're sitting around outside, you got a fire pit going, you got cigars, you got you know, bourbon or whatever. And you, know, you just have really interesting, edifying conversations, just an enjoyable time. No one's getting drunk. It's just you're sitting there having a good time. Why not? All right. Uh, this is from Ben. He says, hello. Uh, why do you want to uphold the sentiment that you're innocent until proven guilty, but are selective who, about who that applies to? Even if you're proven to be innocent, why does Michael Jackson get excluded from that principle? Especially when all the facts stand behind him um, that his accusers are lying and accusing, and accusing specifically for money. All right. Let me explain this one because I've been getting emails like this from, from the same small group of people for the last like three weeks. And that's because uh, like a month ago on Twitter, I briefly mentioned the fact that Michael Jackson was a creepy pervert. And I mentioned this in reaction to, to news about the uh, Michael Jackson documentary, um, documenting all of his creepy perviness, which debuted uh, on the film festival circuit. And I think will be airing on HBO, I believe this week, although his family has been suing to try to stop the documentary from, from, from being aired, but I think unsuccessfully. So anyway, ever since then, after a couple of tweets about it, 
I've had MJ's cultish fanatical followers harassing me. And, and so let me just say, Ben, first of all, with all due respect, you do realize how weird it is, right? To send someone multiple emails defending the honor of a dead celebrity who accused multiple, who was accused multiple times of pedophilia. And the only reason you like him is because he was a good dancer. I mean, you realize that that's weird to spend your time that way. It's just, it's weird, man. It is to be completely obsessed with some dead celebrity because he was a good dancer. And for that reason, you assume that there's no way he could have done these things. Here's the fact of the matter. You take these accusations, everything about Michael Jackson, and you apply that to someone who can't sing and dance, you, Ben, would not be defending him. And you know it. If this was just some random guy you heard about, all of these things about him, uh, you would not be rushing to, uh, to, to defend his honor. You're only doing that because he's a good singer and a good dancer. That is weird. It just is, Ben. Here's what I'll say about Michael Jackson, and I do plan to watch the documentary, which is damning from what I've heard. But Jackson was not proven innocent. The fact that he paid off his accusers to silence them does not prove his innocence. If anything, it it indicates the opposite. And you know what? I think the accusations, especially how consistent they were between the multiple accusers, I think they were very credible, very believable. But I don't even need to get into that, Ben. Jackson admitted sharing his bed with little boys. Okay? He invited little strange boys, not even related to him, uh, over to his house for sleepovers, and he shared his bed with them. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. That's it. I don't need any more information. There is a 0.0% chance that a man who invites a young boy to his house to sleep in his bed is not a pedophile. There is a 0.0% chance. I will, in every single case, if you know of any men in your neighborhood that invite little boys to their to his house, uh, you know, over, over to, to sleep in bed, I I guarantee you that person is a pedophile. 100%. Call the police. Okay, Ben? There is no... And then it just... So it just so happens, also, coincidentally, that this guy who who admits to to inviting little boys over to his house for sleepover parties, it just so happens that he's also multiply accused of being a pedophile. You think that's a coincidence? Are you insane, Ben? Are you crazy? Just because you like the way he dances, you're going to pretend that you don't see the connection? A guy invites little boys over, sleeps in his bed. Uh, oh, oh, and what do you know? He's accused of being a pedophile. You say, well, no, there's no way. No way. No way. Not a guy who can dance like that. No way. Uh, and don't give me, I, I know Michael Jackson's defenders, they'll say, well, no, he was just a child at heart. He was so sweet and innocent. He says, look at him. He's such a sweet and innocent guy. And that's what he's a child. But I hope you don't have kids with an attitude like that. I I mean, would you let your child, would you let your child go sleep in a grown man's bed on the basis that the man is just a child at heart and he's so innocent? Michael Jackson had turned his house into a, into a, you know, Neverland with with, with a, uh, you know, carnival rides and everything. You think it was because he was innocent at heart? I mean, seriously. You you don't need to be a genius to figure this out. 
He had all this stuff to lure children over. Oh, what do you know? He's sleeping in their bed. Oh, what do you know? He's accused of being a pedophile. That's because he was a pedophile. Definitely. I, I mean, there is zero doubt in my mind. And, um, and honestly, you, you Michael Jackson defenders should be absolutely ashamed of yourself. I mean, it's so embarrassing and humiliating for you. And as I said, if you have kids, I, I certainly hope... Um, I, I, if you have kids, I, I hope that you're much more cautious with them um, than you appear to be when you defend Michael Jackson. So that's all. All right. Um, we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, AOC declares herself the boss, Dianne Feinstein destroys small children, and the Oscars won't stop the politics. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show.